This is Les Lanfear, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. My name is Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. On today's episode, we have Les Lanfear, podcaster, filmmaker. He is talking with us about a couple of his projects. So one that he's already done, Calvinist. I would encourage you to go and check that out. It will be linked in the show notes. Whether or not you are a Calvinist, you will benefit greatly from this film that he's done. It is so well done. It is beautiful. It is uh, really excellent art. And so we talk about Christian art uh, and why we are in the state that we're in with respect to Christian art, but we also talk about his new film that's coming uh, very soon, Spirit and Truth, a film about worship. It is so needed that we have this conversation, and uh, I'm really excited that you're going to get to hear from Les about uh, this upcoming film. It's so important, uh, this topic of worship in the church, and so we uh, we talk about how we got to where we are in today's uh, culture with church worship. And so please maybe hit pause and go and look at the trailer. It will be linked at reclamationworship.com. Then come back and listen to Les, listen to his heart, hear what he hopes you walk away uh, understanding from this new and upcoming film. All right, so let's get on over to the interview. All right, well, Les, welcome to Reclamation Worship. So glad that uh, you took the time to join me. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you take just a moment to tell us about yourself? I, my name's Les. I live in South Florida. Uh, I have a wife, beautiful wife, and we have four kids. Um, I have somewhat of a background in the film industry. I've worked on some fairly big like Hollywood-style movies um, in different regards. And uh, I, two, three years ago, I took a, a leap and asked people if they wanted to see a movie about Calvinism and uh, did a Kickstarter, raised some funds. So now I am uh, an independent filmmaker. So uh, I'm uh, still trying to figure out exactly how to do all that. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, I can uh, say that uh, I have seen Calvinist and it is a phenomenal film. So uh, thank you so much for taking that leap and, and making that Real quick, for those who are listening who may not know what Calvinism is or what a Calvinist is, do you mind explaining that real quick? Sure. Uh, So Calvinism is a product of the Reformation, which began with Martin Luther uh, in 1517. That's when we put the stamp of the beginning. And it grew out of reforming, a, a desire to reform the church from the man-made, unbiblical practices of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, over the course of uh, the centuries, people would emphasize things differently. Eventually, there was a, a, a big split based on uh, the question of how, how sovereign is God when it comes to salvation? Do we have a free will to choose Jesus? Um, does God initiate salvation? Does God choose who he will save and who he won't save? And uh, there was a big uh, council called around that question. And this was after the, uh, the theologian 
John Calvin uh, in all of his teachings. Uh, so there was a, a split within the Reformation towards Calvinists and Arminians, and the Calvinists were the ones saying that God is sovereign in in that kind of way that makes you uncomfortable, <laughs> the, the kind of way that says God chooses who he's going to save, God initiates the salvation in the person, we cannot choose God on our own, and so Christ is truly the founder and perfecter of our faith, and he he carries us on into glory. And uh, so most of the church today would be categorized in that other category of Arminians who are very, uh, who emphasize free will and, you know, God would never override your choice. And it's, he's trying to save everyone, but it's up to you to meet him halfway, if you will. Uh, so, so Calvinists are the ones who are saying the opposite of that. It, it's all about God, and we can do nothing on our own, and we're completely dependent upon God to save us. So on the one hand, a, a very high view of God and a lower view of man versus a higher view of man and a lower view of God. Yeah, ultimately, that's how it would work out. I wanted to thank you for just how beautiful uh, this film is. It is aesthetically pleasing to the eyes. It's just very well done. And so uh, thank you so much for making such a, a beautiful film. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It, when I was making it, I was like, as I was about to release it, my, my worries weren't the message so much. Like I knew that the message that was being portrayed was, was what I wanted. So I was just kind of worried, you know, like every artist when they finally release the thing to be, uh, criticized by the public is always worried, you know, does it look good? Even the people who criticize me say that it looks okay. So, yeah, so I'm happy with that. I'm happy that it, it at least, yeah, it, it turned out, it turned out halfway decent. So yeah. it's something I'm proud of. Obviously I would go back and change a million things if I could at this point, but that's, I think that's true of every artist and every work they do. Sure. So I was watching this film thinking, um, A, A, I was appreciating the message of the film. So you did a great job of representing uh, Calvinism and explaining um, to your audience what that is. But, but also, I just was left asking myself in watching the film, why is there not more Christian art or art by Christians that looks like this? You know, that Christian art... Uh, gets a bad rap and rightfully so because it is unoriginal and uh, oftentimes it's not very beautiful usually. And so I, I just found myself asking, why is there not more of this? So any, any thoughts on that? And I don't want to get you in trouble with your colleagues. Uh, so you know, we can cut <laughs> this if, if, uh, if you think that this is going to get you in trouble, but any, any, yeah. any guesses at, at why we're uh, so woefully unrepresented in beautiful art? Well, if I have any actual colleagues. They're the people who agree with you and are okay. trying to do something exactly in the vein of what you're saying, more original, more uh, artistically pleasing, and really put the time and effort into that. I think th there was a time when the world was essentially Christian, uh, at least Europe and the people really paving the way with art. So you look at like Renaissance painters and stuff like that, like the great art was Christian, but you can also chalk that up to, like I said, the fact that th the powers that be were obstens uh, obstensively Christian. Mm -hmm. So I think in a culture now where the the one the people who are leading the way with art are um, no longer it's you know a post Christian mm -hmm. West. Mm -hmm. 
so all the really cool stuff that's happening out there is is made by the people with money and the people who you know really want to make a name for themselves and um, it's just no longer uh, Christians leading the way as far as as art goes and I think I, I I just see that Christian movies especially have dug this little trench where they think it has to sound a certain way and look a certain way and it's got to be reverent in a really like in all the wrong ways mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think the secret to good art is um you copy or steal from the people that you you like and you you know that's what we call inspiration you just right. find people who you are into what they do and then you try to try to emulate it to some degree and hopefully you mix it in with other inspiration and you come up with something that's uh, originally, you know, original in the sense that it's yours and it has your own flavor, but uh, also, you know, you're going to be inspired by other things. So I think it's okay for Christians to look to the world who right now is, are, are the ones who are making great art um, and take the parts that can be taken and leave the parts that are ungodly. And, you know, we, we, we can have nothing to do with. And, uh, and I think we can fold those things into, into what we're doing. But I think, for the most part, uh, Christians, they, it feels like they just steal the wrong parts of stuff and they do it poorly. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, to claim to be, uh, really doing it better, but you know, I I guess I just, I wanted to be original. I wanted to do something that, um, that I'd never seen before. And I just felt like there's a lot of references and a lot of like cool ways to explain things that, um, that I knew other people weren't doing. And uh, I don't know, I guess it just came off as, as original and uh, something that, that people had never seen before. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I just did what I would like to see, I guess. And, and I, as, a, as an independent filmmaker, I have that freedom to do, to, to actually make what I want to see. And there's not this board of, you know, Christian filmmaking uh, CEOs that are saying, well, that's not going to reach the audience properly and all that stuff. So, uh, so I think part of it is just the freedom of, of being able to do whatever I wanted. Well, and, and <laughs> with platforms like YouTube and Vimeo, uh, you really have the freedom now to, to make what you want and to release it out in, in those distribution channels and, and really not have to worry about those, you know, boards of uncreative people that you were just talking about. There's also just the issue of, of money, you know, like if you have, the budget to make an Avengers movie, it's going to look absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Christians can't do that because, you know, no one's going to fund that and uh, the audience is never going to be as large. So, so there's, there's that too. Um, And fortunately, providentially, the Lord has given me a lot of opportunities to sort of learn some animation techniques and stuff like that. So, um, so that helps too. Uh, so who are some of your uh, inspirations that um, that you look to in, in filmmaking? Stephen McCaskill, he is the guy who, he just made that Luther documentary okay, yeah. uh, recently. Uh, he made Through the Eyes of Spurgeon. So he was really helpful uh, for me when I was just kind of figuring out if this was even something I wanted to do. Uh, he gave me a lot of really good advice and, um, you know, looking at the way Luther was put together, just beautiful animation and with a whole team of animators and uh, just really, really amazing stuff. Ironically, <laughs> so I, I uh, a long time ago, I won a online film, like short film competition thing. And I won a trip to the Traverse City Film Festival 
where I got the honor of interviewing Michael Moore. Wow. Who is a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. He's about the most liberal, <laughs> most liberal person you can, you can imagine. So I got to, to interview him and ask him some questions, which was, which was fun. But so I, as I was making Calvinist, I revisited that. Uh, and I looked at some of his, some of the interviews he's done. And, uh, one thing he does in all of his movies is he narrates the movie and he, he usually shows up in the movie too. And he'll do some sort of like, you know, he'll approach someone and make them uncomfortable and make them look like a fool. Um, but he wrote this article about how documentary filmmakers should narrate their own films. And, uh, I, I was kind of uncertain about how to tell the story in Calvin because like you, you do these interviews with doc, you know, it's a documentary. So you interview people and then you're trying to edit all these clips together to tell a coherent story. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's gaps and there's transitions that you're missing. And there's things that you can't really get a person to say that would make sense on camera. So for me, that was like this eye opening moment. It's like, Oh yeah, I'll just narrate it mm-hmm. and I'll carry the story along with my voice and, you know, in his, in this article that he wrote, he explained how the audience wants to know who it is that's telling them this story. And so I got to like sort of claim it as mine and say, this is the story of me and my generation. This is what we went through. And uh, so that was, that was huge for me and it was super helpful. And I think it made the movie a lot better than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, it, it was seamless. So Michael Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Michael Moore. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that, that I learned and uh, was really surprised about, I, I liked your angle that you took uh, with respect to how it impacted a generation and how this generation of young restless reformed have really helped to be a catalyst to the movement. But something I learned, and I don't think I'd heard this elsewhere, was your emphasis on James Montgomery Boyce and R.C. Sproul. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? I, I noticed you got to sit down with uh, Dr. Sproul and uh, interview him. Yeah, such an honor. That was uh, easily the the biggest highlight of um, the whole interviewing experience. Yeah, so I, there was just this recurring, because that wasn't even really something I knew. Um you know, it's, it's before my time, I've only been reformed for, you know, less than 10 years. So as I was interviewing people, they kept repeating, uh, James Montgomery Boyce and R.C. Sproul Hmm. and the conferences that that they were going to and how, um, you know, people were coming out of the woodwork to, to go to these conferences. And there was just something different about it. This, this reverence and this, uh, emphasis on, uh, expounding scripture and these doctrines that um, were pretty unpopular in in within the church. People were just saying that you know R.C. Sproul and James Montgomery Boyce were they were good friends, and they were doing these conferences uh, in Philadelphia. That's where uh, Boyce's conference was happening, the Conference on Reformed Theology. And I got the opportunity to to, uh, to interview Sproul, and uh, Sproul was still alive when I was releasing the movie. So I ended up devoting the whole movie to James Montgomery Boyce. So the movie opens with In in Memory of uh, James Montgomery Boyce. Very nice. Why don't you tell us how the Lord saved you? I was sort of a dropout kind of, well, not, I didn't actually drop out of high school, but I was, I was sort of like a druggy stoner kind of very lazy uh, teenager. And, you know, I graduated and got, you know, a job at a gas station and stuff like that. And I was kind of stuck in this, in this little town in 
Pennsylvania. And this friend who I grew up with, and he, his, his dad uh, was always praying for me and always uh, he would pay for me to go to like acquire the fire with him, with his son and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he was sort of rediscovering his faith. He was going to um, Campus Crusade for Christ and he sort of rediscovered the gospel. And this one day I was coming down from some, some pills I, take, I took and I was just incredibly depressed. And uh, my friend picked me up and we were going to drive uh, back to this, uh, the apartment that we were staying at. And he saw that I was feeling pretty down and he asked me what was wrong. And the only thing I could muster was, I just want to be a good person. And looking back on that now, I realized that it was my morality that the Lord was convicting me of. I, I realized that I wasn't a good person. I just wanted to be a good person. Hmm. Uh, so this friend pulled the this green, broken down, terrible Jeep over to the side of the road, reached in the back seat, pulled out a Bible, and started explaining. Um, he just he just said, you know, you are a sinner and you deserve to die, but Jesus never sinned. And he died instead, and he died in place of you. You know, he died for your sins. And that phrase, he died for your sins, I remember repeating it over and over because I'd heard that phrase before, Jesus died for your sins. Mm. But it never, I didn't understand the substitutionary, like I didn't understand what it meant. So I kept saying like, oh, he died for my sins. Mm. And I remember it just, it just clicked. And everything changed in that moment. I was just like, I, I got it. And, uh, he dropped me off. Uh, and I, I remember just going home and I read the book of Matthew that night and I just fell in love with this Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I remember like being blown away by the, you know, the, the people would try to trap him with, with, uh, questions and they were like difficult questions to answer. And he would just come up with this amazing answer or they'd bring him a coin and say, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, you know, render to Caesar what is Caesar, render to God what is God's. And I was just like, wow, this guy is brilliant. <laughs> and I just, I just fell in love with him. I thought it was so great. And for the next month, I remember just staring up at the ceiling every night as I was going to sleep with this stupid smile on my face, just saying, you're real, <laughs> you're real and you love me. Like mm-hmm. it was it was just complete eye-opening, life-changing. And like, so I, I quit drugs, I quit smoking, I quit like everything immediately. So I just have this incredibly um, dramatic uh, conversion. Wow. That was great. Wow. Are you still in touch with them? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the very last frame in Calvinist, I got to visit, I haven't seen him in years. And uh, my wife, my, my whole family, we did this little road trip uh, during the movie. Uh, the filming of the movie and I got to visit him. We went to Washington DC, we shot some stuff and he was just sort of walking around and I had the camera behind him and there's this lens flares going on. Like I'm shooting at the sun with him like a silhouette. So the last frame of the movie is this friend who preached the gospel to me. Wow. Uh, So I got to honor him in that way. Wow. That's amazing. Well, um, you have, uh, you've released Calvinist and, uh, again, I will link that in the show notes, but you are working on a new film. And so want to definitely talk about this new film because it is centering on something that I'm very much concerned about. And that is our worship and, um, specifically, 
worship within the church and within the church service. And so tell us about the name of this new film and, and why you chose to make a film on this topic. So I released Calvinist and I wasn't totally sure. I, like, first of all, I didn't know how it was going to go. So I took a full-time job as I released it and uh, people really, really liked it. So then it was just a matter of trying to figure out what to do next. And I was thinking about doing a movie on maybe the Trinity or the sovereignty of God. There was a lot of things I was sort of juggling. But I think the most profound thing that I've ever learned in my life is that God is real and Jesus is the Savior. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Calvinism was mind-blowing. And then just this, this idea that God actually cares how we worship him. Mm. That would probably be the next, the next most profound uh, thing that has impacted me. So through a lot of discussion and a lot of sort of just a lot of the things that I was thinking about at the time, uh, I decided that this, this was a subject that needs to be uh, discussed. So again, I put a Kickstarter out there and to see if people would be interested. And uh, surprisingly, <laughs> um, uh, a lot of people wanted to see a movie about worship. Mm. So the, the plan is to make a film that can convince your average evangelical who's going through the motions of, you know, whatever it is that we've set up, you know, we have some very strange practices that we're, that we're doing mm. in, in modern worship services and maybe hopefully convince them that maybe there's a better way. Maybe God cares more than you think he does about what you're doing. And um, maybe we're actually distracting ourselves uh, in ways that uh, God never intended. And there's a simpler and uh, more direct way to receive grace from God and lift his name high uh, through our practices. So you mentioned the historical component of maybe why, why there's not as much good Christian art as, as there should be. Care to venture a guess on how we got to this point in the church with the way that our, our quote-unquote worship is now? Well, that's kind of uh, one of the big questions that I'm asking a lot of the people I'm interviewing. Uh, it's hard to really nail down exactly how we got to where we are. But there's always different emphases throughout history, I guess. And so like with Martin Luther, his first big emphasis was reclaiming the gospel. And then the reformers after him, um, it's like the gospel is now reclaimed, and then they start reforming worship hmm. and looking to uh, remove the man-made uh, distractions that, uh, that have been brought in. And so I think we're kind of at the same point again in history where we talk about this word evangelical and uh, really the emphasis there is sharing the gospel with others and, you know, focusing back in on getting a personal relationship with Jesus and all those things. You start to shift your focus to now, how do we get the most people to hear this message and get this personal relationship with Jesus? Mm -hmm. So then it all becomes about getting people in the doors mm -hmm. and ultimately it becomes at any any cost just get anyone in here so we, we can do whatever we want on the stage we can say whatever we want we can look however we want because we just want to get them in we just right. want to attract them in 
So that, I think that's a lot of what it is, is just this idea of church growth and um, seeker-friendly movement that just wants to get people in the door. And um, so now you're actually, you're serving unbelievers to get them in. And then your entire service takes on that flavor. Mm. And that's, a, that's just a really bad place to be. Yeah, like you said, we're offering a, a cheap imitation of which uh, nobody's impressed. And, uh, and when we have the greatest truth in the world and we're offering a counterfeit uh, version of something that they can get much better everywhere else. Right. And, and so we, we take this, this uh, beautiful message and water it down and uh, dress it up, like, like you were saying. And, and, uh, and every, <laughs> it's, it's a great point that you make. Everybody knows that we're, we're serving an imitation. So yeah, it's yeah. very unfortunate. What are you learning uh, as you make this film? The, the most important thing that we, we need to remember, and this is what I'm constantly being reminded of, I guess, hearing more and more. So I, I, guess, uh, I guess learning more and more about, but when we go to worship God, he's, you know, because I'm talking about the, the regulative principle of worship. Do you mind telling us what that's all about? So that term essentially means that uh, God gets to tell us what he wants. So like if I come home and I ask my wife, what does she want for our anniversary? And she tells me she wants this romantic dinner and she wants roses and she wants to just spend time alone with me. And then I buy her, you know, I come home and I, I buy her tickets to a sports game and then you know, we're going to get pizza and we're going to play video games all night. So I completely ignored what she wanted. And then I just did what I wanted because I figured that would be better. And right. Uh, and this is what I like. And she's along for the ride. So, you know, she'll be happy too, uh, instead of doing what she actually asked for. So in worship, we're saying that God actually gets to tell us what he wants. And if we really listen closely to what the scriptures are saying, God does not like when we invent ways to worship him. And that's something we've just completely ignored recently. Mm-hmm. Or we think it's changed somehow, which I think is just sort of our way of uh, excusing our, our own behavior. So again, during the Reformation, there was, there was two disagree, disagreeing uh, positions on the way God should be worshipped. And this was the Calvinists and the Lutherans, or the Reformed and the Lutherans. The Lutherans were saying that if the scriptures haven't prohibited something, then you can do it in worship. So if, if you can't find a verse that says you can't do this thing, then, then it's allowed. Whereas the Reformed were saying, if God hasn't actually commanded us to do it, then we can't. Hmm. So we only do that which God has commanded. And even, you know, really the way that plays out is that Luther was doing a lot of hymns and Luther had a lot of musical accompaniment and there was some liturgy stuff that he was like, well, th- this is okay because God hasn't told us not to. So e- even under that rubric, if Luther looked at what the church was doing today, he would be completely appalled Sure, because it's just, it's just licentious craziness that, that we're into now. So the, the movie is promoting this idea that God, um, God actually does want something from us in worship, and we shouldn't add to it. And he's not uh, saying those things and requiring those things in order to like make worship a bummer um, so that we're not having any fun. Um, the reason God wants worship to be structured the way he wants it is because he actually knows what's good for us, and he knows how 
corrupt our hearts are. So if we start inventing things, they'll always be like the golden calf or strange fire that Mm. gets people killed because God is not pleased by it. He didn't ask for it. And it's, it's just not the way that we receive grace from God. Um, so, uh, another term that, that, uh, we really appreciate in sort of this reformed worship circle is the ordinary means of grace. And so that means that the things that God has required from us, which is preaching of the word, the sacraments and prayer, uh, these are ways that we approach God and we, uh, we receive from him what he's promised. And, you know, so we ask all these questions about how do I grow as a Christian? How do I become more like Christ? You know, I'm struggling in all these areas, all these things. Um, well, we can invent new ways and tell people to do all these different strategies that we come up with, or we can actually trust that the word of God does what the word of God says it's going to do. And if we strip away all those distractions, like get the band off the stage, shredding on their guitars and, you know, get all this, get all the the other stuff that we're, we've decided helps God. Right. um, Because God's word by itself can't actually do what it says it's going to do. So we need to help him. Well, get rid of all those helps and then encourage the people to actually look upon the word of God with faith and hear it and believe it. And so that's, it's all about this simplicity of, of if, if God has only asked for these very basic, simple things, get rid of the distractions and then gaze upon the word of God and hear the word of God by faith. And then you actually get the grace and all the blessings that he's promised through those things. Uh, otherwise you're, if, if, if you have the word of God on the stage and then it's right next to, you know, some crazy band that's, that's doing all this crazy stuff, what do you think is going to get the attention of these people, these fleshly people, mm-hmm. these sinful people who are there because they love God somewhere in their hearts, but uh, they're also still sinners and we're, we're uh, getting their attention based on their preferences, right? They're always going to be more attracted to the thing that is not the word of God. So the whole point is let the word of God be center stage. Let it be the focus and let it be the only reason we're there. And, you know, that would make all the difference in the world. So when you talk about the regulative principle, um, I I know there's a spectrum and and some people are are more conservative than, than others on this. So would you yourself, and, and I don't know if you get into this on the film, but would you argue against instrumentation in, in the singing um, of songs? So, right. So the, I, I, I want the movie to be very much sort of a, uh, entry level and I, I don't want it to be stepping on too many toes. I, I want I, you know, I don't want it to be more offensive than it needs to be. Sure. And, uh, so I know it's going to be in, in some degree. I personally, at my church, we have a guitar, an acoustic guitar for accompaniment, to keep the melody and all that stuff. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with an instrument or some kind of accompaniment. Uh, even Psalms is, is a, a big issue within this discussion too. Like uh, God has given us the Psalter mm-hmm. and the modern church has completely forgotten 
about the Psalter, mm. the, the, the book of the Psalms, which God actually gave us as a songbook. And all throughout history, God's people have sung the Psalms. And then hymns came in, and then uh, hymns have been forgotten even. Mm. And now we just put the lyrics up on the screen and we sing contemporary Christian songs, which are almost completely void of any theological uh, content whatsoever. Right. Um, so there's, there's definitely, uh, I, if somebody walked out away from this movie and they were like, oh, wait a second, we shouldn't have instruments anymore and we shouldn't have, and we should only sing Psalms. The movie's not going to teach that view, but I'd be okay with that. Right. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, if somebody practiced that, they would, I mean, usually if somebody is convinced of that, they immediately enter the cage stage and they <laughs> become a complete jerk about it. And they, uh, their emphasis is all wrong, <clears throat> but so I probably wouldn't like it very much if people did, but, um, <laughs> but the, that, that philosophy is sort of the extreme of really appreciating what it is that God uh, requires from us. I think there's a there's a maybe a more ba- balanced uh, view where we're saying where we're actually asking the question, what purpose does this thing serve? So, if a guitar exists to to for accompaniment, mm-hmm. well, is the guitar distracting away from the voices of God's people? Because mm. God didn't ask for a lead singer to be like this, this, the main voice and then people singing along with him. He wants God's people to be singing. So, um, so those are the kinds of questions that, that I want to encourage people to ask is it's, it's not so much let's strip everything away and just throw everything away and, you know, do this in some way that the culture will be completely like somebody walking off the street and have no context for even how to join in with this. Right. Um, but we should at least be asking, is this distracting from what God actually wants in worship, or is it actually uh, helping to encourage those things in some way? Mm. Yeah, and I, I feel like this podcast would be successful if I were able to at least get people to ask those questions, and um, yeah. and that that is what I'm hoping for when I when I do these episodes that um, focus on worship through singing in the church. And so, um, yeah, just to pause and say, do I even believe what I'm singing, um, here this morning? Uh, is it, is this safe for me to be making this confession that, uh, that I'm making through song? Um, and then like you mentioned, uh, see, I've had the benefit of seeing the trailer, so I know exactly what you're talking about, but, uh, for those who have not seen the trailer of Spirit and Truth, um, which I will link to and, and encourage them to see, uh, you, you show all these clips of um, just amazingly crazy things that are happening, taking place in yeah. worship services. And uh, whether it be skits or plays or, or, or whatever, uh, dancing, you know, um, it's just absolutely ludicrous. And, uh, and so... Um, it, like you said, it, it takes the focus away from the word of God. And, um, I think in our minds, we have bought into this understanding or belief that the word of God is not sufficient to do what it it says it will do. 
Um, and so we, we think that we've got to come up with all these ways, invent all these ways to do the work of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly it. Yeah, we're, we, we're not trusting the Spirit to do His work. And so, and that's, it's flesh versus Spirit. That's, mm. I mean, that's, you know, that's what Calvinism was, is all about uh, making, we're making that distinction. The, the flesh cannot accomplish spiritual things. And so we trust fully in the Holy Spirit to do those things. So when we start introducing things that are clearly directed at the flesh, then there's no question that's we're going in the wrong direction Mm. and we're, we're not giving, we're not even letting the spirit do his work because we think somehow we need, we need to help him. And since you mentioned, uh, music, uh, that's that's one funny thing that that came right right when I started the the Kickstarter uh, for this film is that people I said I'm making a movie about worship and people immediately started sort of sharing it. They were being kind about it, but they were saying Les is making a movie about worship music, mm. and so there's that's another just interesting uh, confusion that we've that we've uh, gotten into is that we think that worship means music, right? Uh, Whereas in reality, music is the smallest <laughs> part of of worship. Uh, you could actually, you know, the, you could do worship without singing at all. The, the The main focus of Christian worship is the word of God being preached mm-hmm. uh, and the, the the people of God receiving that preaching. Uh, maybe secondly, most important would be praying to God corporately. And then uh, the sacraments being being practiced. So yeah, that's a that's another big emphasis that needs to be uh, addressed. I think. Well, and you see this too, like how how skewed our understanding of the worship service is when when you go to any church website and uh, and look at their staff and the music guy is nine times out of ten his title is worship leader, and yeah. so um, the guy who leads the singing is known as the guy who leads worship. And what does that say about the preached word of God? It says that that is as low on the priority chain as, as you can get. So yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's one of my unstated goals of this podcast is to uh, change or organizational charts in churches so that that title (laughs) of worship leader (laughs) no longer exists unless it's the, the senior pastor. Yeah, like people that you come into worship or you come into church, you worship for a few minutes at the beginning mm. with your contemporary songs. And then it's then it's classroom time. Right. <laughs> then it's yeah. time for the lecture, the TED talk. <laughs> uh, getting um which is it's just crazy. So, you know, yeah, you you're just you're just getting your encouragement from the Bible, but but the reality is that is the most the most spiritual moment in your week mm. is the moment when you're sitting under the preached word of God. And uh, people really need to remember that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, uh, what would you like to um, maybe say to the folks out there who are going to be listening to this? Uh, what encouragement do you have for them as they consider uh, worship? Some people listening to this may be hearing this thinking that, you, that you're putting out there for the very first time. They've never considered um the entire service on Sunday morning uh, as worship. Uh, so what, what would you say to them uh, as encouragement? This is the, the teaching of the New Testament. And when we look through the, the epistles, um, we look through what, what Paul has to say, 
especially, you know, to Timothy and as he's sort of setting up future generations, it's all about preaching the word uh, in season and out of season. Consider what is it that the Bible lifts high? What is it that the Bible considers pleasing to God? Uh, You know, this is something R. Scott Clark even pointed out uh, to me, and it strikes people wrong sometimes. But, you know, he said that one of the sort of invented means of grace, and nobody would ever call it that, but of the modern evangelical church is this idea of personal devotion, personal Bible study. Mm-hmm. And obviously knowing your Bible is important and, you know, personally studying it would is, is a great practice. But we see like, it, you know, if you're sort of a structured evangelical Christian, um, you know, you're supposed to study your Bible every day. And if you miss that, then you've basically like sinned mm-hmm. for for the day, like your, your day's ruined. Um, where the Bible never actually tells you to do that, uh, which again, isn't to say that you shouldn't do it, but like where, so where have we, where have we gotten our practices and, you know, how have we come up with the priorities that we have? And I think that if we'll, if we'll look back at the new Testament, uh, especially and how the old Testament, uh, sets the stage for it. And even the, the, the commands that God is giving there um, were being told that the apostles were gathering on the Lord's day, mm-hmm. that they were worshiping God, that they were sitting under the preaching of the word, uh, that, you know, the pastors are to preach the word in season and out of season. And uh, I think if we revisit, rethink through these things without our biases, without our uh, traditions in mind, uh, we'll see that um, worship is one much more important than we than we currently think it is and two much more simple than we think it is and i think a lot of churches could um alleviate a ton of pressure on their congregations on Mm -hmm. their leadership uh if they would simplify worship like you don't have to have all these programs they're they're fine if you know if you want to have extracurricular activities for your church that's fine but it is absolutely not the most important thing to be doing. Um, home groups and small groups and Bible studies, those are all great, but they're not, they're not primary. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I would love it if people could actually say that corporate worship on Sunday is the most important thing that you do in your life because, mm. because it is. Worship is the reason we were created. Amen. Well, and I think that's a great place to leave this. So, uh, Les, I, uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on to talk about this. And uh, we will uh, we'll link to uh, Spirit and Truth uh, Kickstarter just so folks can have a, a starting point with this and see the trailer. Um, but uh, I greatly appreciate your time. And uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward to Spirit and Truth, a film about worship. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Les again for coming on Reclamation Worship. I will link at reclamationworship.com to Spirit and Truth, a film about worship. You will be able to uh, keep in touch with Les and uh, make sure you sign up for updates to see when that film will be coming out. And I uh, want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Reclamation HQ. We're on Instagram, Reclamation Worship, and Facebook, Reclamation Worship. If you listen to us on iTunes, Rating and reviewing helps us out so much, so I would really appreciate all the rates and reviews. We're on Spotify, so check us out there as well. Uh, but uh, really appreciate your participation in uh, this conversation. 
And again, check us out at reclamationworship.com. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.